Amen. You may be seated. You can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 6 through 11. Uh, this morning, we'll read actually uh, verse 1 through 11. But we'll just be focusing on 6 through 11 as we covered the first part of that chapter last time. Now it's been three weeks since. But as we closed out 2022 and we looked to 2023, what are some of the things that you're hoping to change? I think it's good to reflect upon these things and to consider. Do you, do you ever wish, do you ever make it a New Year's resolution to enjoy more rest? Psychologically, physically, spiritually? Do you feel restless? That word rest occurs 12 times in these passages, verses 311 all the way through 411, 12 times. So it's very clearly a theme of our author. But we also know that we're in the midst of a section where he's talking about Jesus being superior, right? Jesus being superior to, in this case, Moses. The first two chapters said he was superior to angels. <clears throat> and so we saw, and actually we begin our, we open our service with this call to worship from the beginning. Right? Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So we have this, this language of Jesus speaking a better word. When Jesus came, he spoke the, the revelation of God most clearly to us. And you look at chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So you have the, the application there. Jesus has spoken a better word. Therefore, as followers of him, pay close attention. Pay much closer attention, in fact, to that word. Right? Recognize the importance of it. Prioritize it. And then in verses 3 through 4, we transition to Moses, and, and the idea is that Jesus is worthy of greater honor. Look at chapter 3, verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So he's greater glory, worthy of more honor. And so the application there is, because that is true, do not harden your hearts. And he repeats that multiple times in, this, in these two chapters. We'll see that again in the passage we'll read this morning. So why would he say that? Why would those themes, pay much closer attention and do not harden your heart, why would those be themes to a new covenant community? After Jesus is resurrected and ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father, we're now filled with the Holy Spirit. Are these even dangers for us? Yes, we are too easily distracted. Right? We're too easily distracted by what is worldly and hardened to the Spirit's work. And so instead, we need to recognize the value and the, and the enjoyment of gathering together 
And so that's the, the main theme we'll take away from this is to in, that we enjoy a foretaste of our eternal rest by honoring the Lord's day every week. We enjoy a foretaste of our eternal rest by honoring the Lord's day every week. Now that's it's going to take some time to unpack, but hopefully you can, you'll follow along with the, the, the argument of the author here. But before we read this, this passage, let's ask the Lord for his help in understanding it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it, it, it trains us. It challenges and, and convicts us. It tests our hearts. Lord, it also comforts and encourages us. We need all of that, Lord. Maybe some of us need certain aspects of your word to speak to us or challenge us in different ways, but we all come needing to hear from you. Ready, in fact, to hear from you, Lord, asking your spirit to open our eyes, to open our ears, to help us to hear and to see the truth this morning. Soften our hearts, Lord, that we would be changed by it. Ultimately, we want to be doers of your word and not hearers only. And so, Lord, help us to, to be attentive. Arrest our minds now. Help, to help us to remove the distractions. Lord, that we would be in tune with what you want to say to us. For your glory, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So read with me, beginning in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he says, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Amen. This is God's holy word. 
If you're following along in your outline, you want to fill in the blanks. This first point is, are you hearing the gospel? Are you hearing the gospel? We'll just look at verses 6 and 7 to make this point. Are you hearing the gospel? Notice it started off back in verse 1 with, let us fear. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, he almost repeats that same line. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, back in in verse 6. So he's coming back to this thing that he started in verse 1. And then he's also saying the same thing. The idea is that some may fail. That this covenant community is mixed with wheat and tares. It remains that way until, until Christ returns. And so the opportunity to enter God's rest remains open, but some will fail to enter it in the same way that that wilderness generation failed to enter the promised land because of their disobedience, which he has equated as well in this passage, that disobedience with an with a unbelief. Right? Unbelief is at the root of our disobedience. So every generation should consider the fate of that former generation, that wilderness generation. It becomes a a paradigm by which we test ourselves. They become a warning to us. You know, think about, we've, we've said this in the past, think about the, the miracles they witnessed. Think about all of the, the things they heard and saw. And yet, what, what characterized them? Grumbling, complaining, unbelief. And so those under Moses rebelled. David, in Psalm 95, gives the same warning to his audience, which is then repeated again by the author of Hebrews to his readers. And now that warning comes to us as a covenant community. And we have to listen to it. We have to heed that warning. How should we hear it? Well, one, one way we tend to hear things like this is, you know, we put on our Calvinist armor, and we say, uh-uh, that's, that's, that warning's not for me. I'm, I've got, you know, I'm a, I'm a true believer. I, I believe in perseverance of the saints. It can't be for me. It, as, if, as if this community was, was not dealing with the same tension in their hearts, didn't have the same doctrines available to them. You know, we're, we're superior now because Calvin taught us how to think about these things. While I believe that, let me, let me just clarify, I believe in perseverance of the saints, but the point of perseverance of the saints is that you're persevering. And the way you question whether you're persevering is asking, where are you? Where are, you? What are, you are you believing? Are you continuing to believe? Are you trusting? Are you walking by faith today? Right? You're, you're continually thinking about these things. You're examining yourself, examining your heart. You're not dismissive with theological flourish. But then on the other side, there is a tendency among the Christian community to be so sensitive that we hear this kind of warning and we're just filled with panic, with paranoia. Like, I don't, I'm not sure. And we, and we feel condemnation and nothing but shame and guilt and we don't hear anything else. There's, there's got to be a recognition that the gospel both convicts and then comforts us, right? That, that we are convicted in the ways that we've fallen short of the glory of God, and then we're, 
we're brought to the foot of the cross where we can say, Christ has done it all. Murray Kappel compares believers to smoke alarms. He says, some go off due to a piece of burnt toast. And they're just so sensitive. You can't cook anything, really. At least no, no man can cook um, around those kinds of smoke alarms. And then you have the smoke alarms like we had in our house for a while where the batteries have been removed. Someone woke up in the middle of the night to a faint beeping over and over again that was a reminder to replace the battery and said, I'm tired of this. Remove the battery and forgot about it for a while. Well, that smoke alarm's worthless, right? Completely worthless. So you'd rather be oversensitive for sure. But there's the tendency to be, you know, you, wanna, you don't want either, really, to be the case. You want that balance where you are convicted, genuinely convicted by sin, by disobedience. If not, it means you've been calloused to it, that your heart has grown calloused because of repeated sin and disobedience that you don't even think about it anymore. It doesn't have an impact. And so instead, you just want to be reminded over and over, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm terrible, but it doesn't matter because I have Jesus. Well, that's not, a, that's not the, the attitude of a growing believer, one who seeks to be with Jesus, one who's being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. So conviction is good. It means that the Holy Spirit's at work. We need... We need to call those who are lost, those who are wandering, to return, to repent. To, they should know that wandering is dangerous. You wander too far away and you may get beyond the voice that's calling you back. And so warnings are meant to preserve. We should take heed and we reflect on that notice when god when adam and eve first sinned what did they do they hid and god calls out to them what does he say where are you now god wasn't confused uh, adam and eve hadn't won a game of hide and seek against god right he he knew exactly where they were and you can't win a game of hide-and-seek against him. And when he calls out, where are you? It's a question to consider. Are you relating to him? Are you communing with him? Are you reading his word? Are you praying? Are you reflecting upon these truths? I know that can sound very simplistic and you know, something that you could really make an application every week, week after week, pray more, read more, do more Christian things. But the point is, are you communing with God? Are you hearing him speak? Are you casting your cares and burdens upon him? Knowing that he cares for you. Do you know these things? See, the good news we say, he, he says, was formally received. Therefore, there, uh, since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it and for those 
who formally received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Well, what was the good news that that former generation received? That generation that was following Moses in the wilderness? What was the good news that they received? That God had delivered them from Egypt and that the promised land was right around the corner. And they, they were told about the blessings, the, the abundant fruit, the land of milk and honey. They were going to be encouraged and blessed as soon as they get there. And they're, they're now in this place of wilderness and trial and testing. So the good news does not negate the trial that they're in right then. It doesn't suggest that God doesn't care about their circumstances. I'm giving you good news, and and that's all you need to think about. But the good news gives them perspective in the midst of their trial as they're wandering in the wilderness so that they put their eyes on, on, on a future reality. That that circumstance, that trial, doesn't overburden them and distract them from what God is doing in their hearts. But instead, they became hardened and calloused. And due to their disobedience, they failed to enter God's rest. They failed to receive those blessings. And so we should think in similar terms, right? How, how are our present trials distracting us? Are they hardening us from the Spirit's work? And the very simple question to ask is, have, have you heard the gospel? This is a good Sunday to come, right? Because, like, you're, you're here. And so you can say, yeah, well, sorry for those people missing out today. But, like, it makes you feel good that you're here when, when the pastor starts talking about the importance of being present when the word of God is being preached, right? Have you heard the gospel? Are you regularly hearing the gospel? And there's a difference here between... Being in the presence where, of uh, being in a location where the gospel is being proclaimed and hearing it. There's a difference between going to church and hearing the gospel. And you can miss it due to poor preaching. That's one way that you don't hear the gospel is because while you're sitting under the preaching of the word, the person hasn't actually shared the gospel. Unfortunately, that happens all too often. But the other factor is, is your listening or your lack of listening, your distractedness. And so are you hearing the gospel? Are you regularly hearing the gospel? And then how are you responding to the gospel? So again, I, I want to encourage you that, that your presence here is, is going against cultural norms. When everyone else slept in, you got up and made it a priority to be here and that That's a great way to start the year. I want to improve upon that and continue to be under God's word, to hear the gospel. And so corporate worship is is the highlight of sitting under his his word. But God has also set apart the whole day. And and that's what I want us to consider in this next section, verses 8 through 10. So the next point is, are you keeping the Sabbath Are you hearing the gospel, and are you keeping the Sabbath? Now this, you know, maybe when you think of rest, you're immediately just thinking about, like, sleep. (laughs) How All the problems that result from a lack of sleep. One-third of adults don't get at least seven hours per night, and that will have an impact upon them. 
whether they think it does or not, it has long-term consequences on their body. But as much as we need to do a better job of sleeping and prioritizing that for our health, that, that has little to do with Sabbath-keeping. But before I, I look at this, I just want to warn you, there is gonna, this is going to get a little technical. And there's, I mean, there's no way around that. So if, if that's like, if just you free, feel free to tune out for the next few minutes on this point, okay? It's just going gonna, gonna to be heavy, but I do think that it's important because verse 9 is this central point of the passage, and it needs to be unpacked carefully, and it's been understood differently. And so what I'm trying to do is distill a very, a very um, wise thinker, John Owen, who, and what he understood about this passage. Okay? Verse 9 says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That word, Sabbath rest, it's, that phrase is one word in the Greek, it's sabbatismos, this is the only occurrence in the New Testament. So that complicates things because where do you go? How do you, how do you rightly interpret it? You've got to begin to think about the context of the passage. And we've already said that rest, that word rest, occurs 12 times in this section. So is he, is he thinking of Sabbath as a, as a rest, as a state of rest here? Well, there's a verbal form of this word, sabbatizo, in the Greek, and it's found in the Septuagint, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament, four times. And it always means to observe the Sabbath. To observe, it's a verb, right? So, so you're Sabbathing. You're, you're, it's, it's turning the word Sabbath into a verb, right? To observe or even to celebrate the Sabbath. This word, Sabbatismos, is, is a noun. And so, therefore, the noun would be the observance of the Sabbath. That would be the, the right understanding, I think, of, of that word. If we take that word sabbatismo and turn it into a noun, it becomes the observance of the Sabbath. And that's consistent with the, gra grammatically speaking, when you think about the Greek, the, the ending of the Greek is mos, and that tends to, ref that refers to a practice rather than a state. Okay, so the, I just said the word rest occurs 12 times. It doesn't occur in this verse. That's supplied by the translator. Most translations do interpret it that way. They say Sabbath rest. But I think a more appropriate translation, based upon the, the use of Sabbatizo in the Septuagint, based upon the ending, the Moss ending, it should be translated Sabbath keeping. That creates too much tension for some. Actually, the, the Bible in basic English translation does interpret it that way, translates this verse, so there's still, there is still a Sabbath keeping for the people of God. All right, so in, in context here, you have it saying, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then... There remains a Sabbath keeping for the people of God. For whoever has entered his rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. That's, 
another section that, that needs some clarification, that the, word, that the word God is supplied, the first instance of God in verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest is actually just a first person masculine singular, his rest. For whoever has entered his rest has also rested from his works. And it's comparing this singular masculine word with, the, with God resting from his works. The comparison, I believe, is Jesus resting from his redemptive work as a parallel with God resting from his creative work in creation. So listen to Robert Dabney. He says this, The apostles' inference is that because God still offers us his rest under the new dispensation, under this, this age, this New Testament age, there remaineth to us a Sabbath keeping under this dispensation. Because the rest is ours, therefore the Sabbath keeping is still ours. Heaven and its earthly type belong equally to both dispensations. This isn't just an old covenant uh, type of a new covenant fulfillment reality. It's a type of earthly practice, earthly observing the Sabbath and the heavenly rest that it points forward to. And that type is present under the old covenant and under the new covenant. So both Sabbath observance as well as eternal rest are in view. The earthly experience is a type of the heavenly fulfillment. Therefore, verse 11 brings us to the application let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience so in other words our incomplete our imperfect sabbath observance points to christ's complete and perfect work so the fourth commandment clearly establishes our lack of conformity to the law of God. We can look at any of the commandments. The fourth is included as one that we can point to to bring conviction. And as we've already said, that is a good thing, to feel conviction. Convicts us of sins, but then we're reminded as we began that we hear the good news. We're reminded of the good news that we're also hearing. Reminded that Christ has fulfilled all all of the righteous requirements of the fourth commandment in our place. And so when we place our faith in Jesus, his perfect Sabbath-keeping record is credited to us. And he takes all of our guilt. On the cross, Jesus puts to death all of the ways you and I have failed to honor the Lord's day. And so we should appreciate that truth and live in the assurance of that gospel reality. And now, with gratitude and a compelling motivation to please God, enabled by the Holy Spirit, we seek to honor the Lord's Day with a heart that's moved by Jesus' example. And so, that's why we enjoy a foretaste of that heavenly state as we observe Sabbath-keeping in our lives. So, are you striving to rest? That's the last question, verse 11. Are you striving to rest? I was trying to think about how what that looks like. What what do we mean by that? Are you, it's just it sounds like we're 
like an oxymoron, right? That you're, you're suggesting that you need to work to rest. Are you, are you working to rest? But it, it got me thinking about one of the most restful weeks that I have is when we go to the beach for a family vacation every year. And all the things leading up to that week. We have to plan, we have to prepare, we think about the clothes we're going to pack, the food we're going to bring, the meals that we're going to enjoy, the books to bring, the games to have. And all of that sounds basic and predictable, but it's all part of building that excitement as well. You're thinking about the details, and you know maybe even parts of that are frustrating as you're you know competing with someone else who wants to bring something that you don't have a desire for. You want to play that game? That's not fun. I don't enjoy that. But all of that, right, that back and forth, that discussion, is actually building our anticipation for the week where we get to just enjoy it and rest. And so even the tedious aspects build anticipation. Striving to enter God's rest involves Sabbath-keeping observance. That means gathering for corporate worship, returning to your home, being in his word, gathering with your family, meditating upon these truths throughout the day. So to ignore the fourth commandment is to miss how, how its blessings foreshadow that future glory. And so I want to consider, just as we close here, several ways that you can improve, that we can all improve our Sabbath-keeping to the glory of God. And if you've got a pen, write down Westminster Larger Catechism, questions 115 to 121. You can study those at home. You can read them. Again, you're going to read it and say, that's convicting. And then there's going to be ideas as well. And I think one of the things I want to say is don't focus on what's forbidden, but what's encouraged. Think about what you get to do this day that God has set apart for you. Think about all the, all the ways you can enjoy an undistracted communion with God. He, he's blessed this day. It should be a day that's set apart. It should be unique in your week. And so the Lord has set one day in seven apart for you to commune with him, undistracted by your worldly employments and recreations. It's not a burden. It, it's described as a delight. And so the Puritans called it the market day of the soul. I don't think they were just being hyperbolic. I think they genuinely meant that that day was the day that they looked forward to all week. Where they could leave aside everything else and just focus on communing with the Lord. Now that doesn't mean that they, they don't serve him in, in ways showing compassion to those in need. It's all part of communing with the Lord, being used by him to show mercy to others. And we don't, we're not going to get into all of the ways in which we can honor the day. But de- are you devoting yourself? This is the, the Lord's day is when God says, devote yourself to me in word, thought, and action. And see what delight communing with me can become. Right? It's a it's a should be a priority so it's a day think about this it's a day not to worry about school if you're going to school kids it's a day not to worry about work it's a day not to worry about chores or spending or politics or sports 
or whatever else might distract you from the day. Now, again, I just said not to focus on the things you can't do, but that's the, the thing is filling your mind, replacing those things that are distractions with conversation, with interaction, with reading, journaling, showing hospitality, enjoying fellowship with the community of saints. See, if the goal is communion with Christ, then rest will be one of the blessings that results from that encounter. Every week, we have another chance to bring our weary bodies and souls to Jesus, and he restores our hope and he strengthens us for the week ahead. And so it's not meant to be a burden, it's meant to be a relief from your burdens. Even though the author exhorts us to Sabbath keeping, it's an application in the midst of that theme of rest that he's talking about. So it's not incompatible. And Sabbath keeping is not going against his theme. It's working alongside it. We observe, observe the Sabbath in order to enjoy the rest that the Sabbath protects. And so rest is the gift that we receive when we come to Christ. What does he say? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When we commune with him, we receive that rest that we so desperately desire. I will conclude with this quote from Richard Baxter. What fitter day to ascend to heaven than that on which he arose from earth? Speaking of Jesus ascending on a Sunday, the same day that he arose from, not on the same day, but on the same day of the week that he arose. Fully triumphing over death and hell. And he says, use your Sabbaths as steps to glory till you've passed them all and are there arrived. Use your Sabbaths to enjoy a foretaste, in other words, of that heavenly glory and rest that awaits us. Where there truly won't be any tension distracting us and pulling us away from worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder. And Lord, even as it has been convicting for me, I know it is probably convicting for many here. But Lord, we began with the gospel. We want to end with the gospel. We want to recognize that in Christ we have the righteousness that the fourth commandment demands. And just like every other commandment, even though Christ has fulfilled it, there's an expectation that by your spirit, we will continue to walk by faith and to seek to obey out of gratitude. That's in our, our actions, in our words, in our thoughts, that all of them would be conformed, Lord, to that glory that awaits. And when we fall from that, when we fall short of that, we are, are convicted our conscience is is stung by that so that we once again come repenting seeking forgiveness hearing that assurance of pardon and then coming to the Lord's table and communing with our Savior who has taken all of our guilt and given us his perfect record all of this Lord is, is meant to cause us to persevere which is the theme of this book Lord we want to 
continue to trust in you. We want to continue to hear the gospel. We want to learn to keep the Sabbath. And Lord, we want to be continually striving for the rest that is offered to us from the gospel, Lord. So we ask that you would do that work in us. Stir us up to these things. Give us the gift of repentance and faith that we would respond in obedience unlike that wilderness generation who failed to enter that rest. Lord, we want to enter into it trusting fully in Christ and his work. It's in his name we ask it. Amen. Well, I invite you to stand as we sing our psalm of response, Psalm 98C, sing a new song to Jehovah, Psalm 98C.